This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Official announcement on AEW Dynamite moving to TBS and AEW Rampage staying on TNT. WWE Superstar undergoes a successful surgery and I tell you how my time was at AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. I'm Jaden Becker and welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast. It was revealed by Warner Media in a quote mega hit. AEW Dynamite will be airing on TBS on January 5th, 2022. The show will continue to air the Wednesday 8pm Eastern time slot throughout. It was also revealed that AEW Rampage will continue to air on TNT each Friday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, which is a change of plans as Rampage was originally scheduled to move to TBS with Dynamite next year. So uh, still having a TNT presence is uh, AEW. It was a little bit of a switch up there. Uh, I was thinking everyone was under the impression that all of AEW's content was going to go to TBS, which is under the same banner as TNT. It's just, I um, actually, I believe more uh, households have TBS than they do TNT, which was a better thing for AEW, of course, because if more households have it, then more households can watch it. So uh, for AEW to get their flagship show, get their main show in Dynamite, uh, over to TBS at the least is probably the best bet for them. It's just a little bit odd given the fact that, you know, you start on TNT and now you're moving over. Uh, people might say like, oh, moving over might feel like a demotion. If anything, it should feel like a promotion given the fact that TBS has the more households to, for it to be watched on. So it's a good move for AEW. Uh, they're going to have to remake some of their uh, <laughs> some of their um, uh, ring skirts, if you will. But other than that, they should be fine. They should be fine. The, the main fact behind all this is basketball. Basketball is really what messed this up. And same thing with hockey. NBC got rid of their um, uh, hockey. Uh, it's not hockey. They got the NBC ended up getting rid of their sports network. That's what I was trying to say. They, there's no longer NBC Sportsnet. So what now? What's going to end up happening is, uh, given the fact that TNT was able to take on hockey, now uh, it's going to be a conflict between AEW and um, NBA as well. So making this a whole mishmash, AEW trying not to get lost in the shuffle here. It's like, you know what? You can play whatever you want on TNT. Move us to TBS from that time slot, and we'll be happy from there. So moving on to next year, 2022, for me at least, I'm going to have to change from going from number three on my cable to number eight, which is no problem to me. WWE Superstar undergoes a successful surgery. MVP underwent arthroscopic surgery on his knee at Andrews Sports Medicine Orthopedic Center in Birmingham, Alabama this Thursday. WWE announced two weeks ago that MVP suffered a rib injury while taking the RKO from Raw Tag Team Champion Randy Orton. But that was just a storyline injury to write MVP out of uh, storyline so he could undergo surgery to fix the torn meniscus uh, suffered back in February. MVP, MVP took to Instagram on Thursday and announced that he was in Birmingham to undergo the minor orthoscopic surgery after having suffering a torn meniscus back in February and then suffering another meniscus tear two weeks later after that. So uh, that knee really not doing any justice to MVP. That's why he's been walking around that cane for so long. 
One for aesthetic and two obviously because of that knee injury. MVP noted in the Instagram video that he hopes to be back on Raw in four to six weeks. He later posted a photo on Thursday afternoon that shows him in a wheelchair confirming that the surgery was a success. Four to six weeks, uh, he, I assume that he won't be back in in-ring action in four to six weeks. If anything, I think MVP, I'm not saying hang it up MVP, I have a final run, but he would be a lot better served now for the WWE in that manager role as he has been for Bobby Lashley for quite some time. So I see no problem in that for MVP for, to stick in that managerial role uh, when he comes back in four to six weeks. But get well soon, MVP, get well soon. He's always very transparent on social media and Twitter, letting everybody know what's exactly Exactly going on with him. He doesn't want any false information. He wants to. He he rather say it from his mouth and his fingers from Twitter instead of having uh, someone else say say it for him. So I give MVP a lot of credit for that. All right, let's move on to Wednesday's AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. The reason why this is coming out on a Friday and not on a Thursday is because I had to make it all the way back from. Queens, my hometown, to college here up in Ithaca, New York. Uh, so we ended up, the show ended up finishing up around 12.30 in the morning past midnight. Uh, but that's uh, by the time we had to get out of the stadium uh, because not only did they film Dynamite, but they also uh, taped Rampage for uh, tonight. So it's it was a full show. We have five hours worth of wrestling, pretty much, because you had the dark stuff in the beginning for Dark Elevation, then you had the full Dynamite, the live Dynamite, and then you had Rampage. All of it delivered, of second to none. I think it was a fantastic show, but it was definitely a long night. It was definitely, definitely a long night. So then waking up in the morning, ended up leaving Queens around uh, 11, and then getting back to Ithaca around 3.34, and uh, around that time frame, and at that point, there was no point on putting out a podcast because I was absolutely drained. I was absolutely exhausted making it back to Ithaca in time because I had classwork stuff to do because I'm still, you know, even though I'm, I'm doing podcast stuff, I'm still in college. I still got work to do school-wise and broadcast-wise. So uh, either way, let's get into the show because now not only have I watched it once live and in person, but now I was able to watch it twice and uh, watch it from a TV perspective, and uh, it, it, it was a banger both ways. <laughs> I have to say, obviously, in, in my humble opinion, in my humble opinion, it was better in person. The fact that I got to be there in front of 20,000 people and, and watch that show, wow. But uh, let me run through it uh, completely, and then I'll give you my full, full thoughts on how it was actually being there uh, in Arthur Ashe Stadium after the break. So let's go run through this review and uh, opening the show with a banger for AEW down my Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens, New York. Kenny Omega taking on Brian Danielson. Not a championship match, but a dream match at that. That took uh, around nine years. I think it's the last time since they faced off against one another and now facing off here to open AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. Uh, Danielson looks absolutely fantastic, in fantastic shape. Uh, not, not saying that he was in bad shape with the WWE, but, you know, same thing with Miro and same thing with all these guys. They they get, either get released or they take time away from the company that they, they want to be let go or their contract expires. So they have that time away where they're no longer on the road. Now they can work out as much as they need to. And then from that point on, when they appear in a new company or someplace else or even return back to the WWE, they're in fantastic shape because all that time they had off, they spent working out. So Daniel Bryan, I should say Bryan Danielson, took that time to get his body in fantastic shape and he his body definitely looks it he looks 
fantastic. The crowd was absolutely electric before the two even touched, the standoff between one another, and not only did it radiate through the TV, but it penetrated my ears <laughs> while I was there. Uh, the two trade chops and kicks very early on, a suicide dive to the outside from Danielson onto Omega, both doing a fantastic job working the crowd with relatively basic offense early on. There wasn't nothing crazy early on, nothing too flippy early on, um, but every the, every person that that arena in that stadium was on the edge of their seat saying yes and woo to every chop and kick from Brian. Uh, every move, every you know, a punch was a pop of the century. So it really, really was amazing stuff between Omega and Danielson. But when it comes from a, a crowd perspective, Omega with a huge dive over the top rope onto Brian. That's one of my favorite moves that Omega does, where he looks like a shooting star uh, coming over the top rope and onto Brian. Beautiful spot there. Cattle mutilation from Danielson. A huge pop there. Uh, and Omega with a snapdragon suplex onto the LED uh, ramp that that led up to the ring. That was directly onto the apron. Nasty stuff, nasty stuff, but definitely a fun spot there. V-trigger from Omega to follow up. Danielson fighting back, but caught up with multiple V-triggers in every which way. Danielson bleeding across his chest from the chops and a little bit above his, uh, his brow there. Locks in the LaBelle lock, but Omega gets to the ropes. The true trade blows as the time limit is reached, and it, the match ends in a draw. It was a 30-minute time limit, and the match ended in the draw. And there was a lot of boos from the crowd, but it wasn't bad boos. It wasn't boos like, oh, this sucked now because it ended in a draw. But it was boos given the fact that people, you know, people want to see a winner, and that's fine. You know, people want to see who, who would be the winner of that match. And 30 minutes wasn't enough to decide it. Obviously, in the future, uh, even though Omega said, oh, there's not going to be a rematch, uh, there's going to be a rematch. <laughs> you know, they're not going to have a, uh, this go to a draw for it not to happen again in the future. You know, the, this rivalry here that could be brewing between Danielson and Omega could make a AEW, infinite dollars, <laughs> infinite dollars. People would come in droves to see these two wrestle, especially after what they did on free television for 30 minutes there, a 30-minute match, a 30-minute classic they put on with no winner. Uh, the, after what they did there, imagine what they can do in a 60-minute time limit match, in a, in a match with no time limit for the AEW championship. It's it, the, the possibilities are endless. Legitimately, the possibilities are endless. Uh, the super click enter to save Omega after the bell. A triple super kick to Danielson after the match which also brings up the idea of uh, having more matches in the future between Omega and the super click. We could see Omega and Cole in the future if uh, not, not not Omega. We could see a, f a match in the future between Danielson and and Cole in the future uh, if that needs to be the lead up to full gear. Uh, we might not want. They might not want to give that away too fast between Danielson and Cole because obviously that's another super marquee match. Uh, but at the same time, they gave away Omega and Danielson for free, just didn't give you a winner. So it's sort of a give and take there. Um, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express save uh, the super click, uh, the elite in um, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole will take on Christian Cage and Jurassic Express on AEW Rampage Grand Slam tonight. A uh, five-star draw, question mark? Five-star draw. I, I wrote that in my notes here. And, and after watching it live in person, I'm like, oh, this is a five-star match. And then watching it over television, yeah, I, I think I might have been a little built up into the moment. Not going to lie. might just been in me, you know, spending money for my ticket and really excited about it. So it could be that saying that. But at the same time, uh, this match delivered it even after I, when I watched it again. Uh, on on the DVR recording, so it, it delivered both times. So I really I have nothing else to really add on to it. Uh, me describing it as well doesn't do this match justice because you know my my three minute 
uh, points on it really do not compare to what this 30-minute match was. Even the first few minutes of the match where they're just looking at each other and the crowd is absolutely electric because they know they're about to see something so, so special. Uh, really, what, what brought it home for me. I could have left Arthur Ashe Stadium after that match. I would have been happy with, with my night because even though that, that's what opened the whole entire show, uh, I could have left right there. I would have been, you know what? I got my money's worth just from that one match alone. And now, given the fact that I had three more hours left, three, three and a half hours left more of wrestling to watch, oh my goodness, worth every penny. All right, moving on to the next segment, CM Punk and his promo. Uh, wow, what a pop. Ears still still ringing to this day after the Punk pop. Uh, obviously not comparative to Chicago because that one that was his return and it was in Chicago. But in front of 20,000 people at Arthur Ashe Stadium, everyone on their feet singing along to Cult of Personality, uh, you really can't match it. You really, really can't match it. This is something that Punk, I can imagine, has been waiting on for so, so long. He even said on... on um, on the beginning of his promo, he said, oh, I'm glad I'm not wrestling on on Dynamite because how do you follow that? And true, how do you follow Omega Danielson to open the show? You really can't. So having Punk cut a promo there in a way was was the buffer between the, the matches coming forward because nothing, nothing was going to follow Danielson, Omega. So Punk doing a good job there, keeping the crowd lively uh, and transitioning into uh, the next match. But going through this promo... He said that it's been an even longer time that pro wrestling has been in New York City. Emphasis on the word pro wrestling there, uh, given the fact that, you know, the WWE, they were just in the garden on September 10th. But obviously Punk making the point that the WWE is not pro wrestling. It's sports entertainment. So uh, he's saying that, you know, it's been a long, long time since pro wrestling has made its way over to the city. And uh, now AEW being there being the factor. Uh, Punk says that this, and I've heard this in quotes, is, is once again his, this being the world of wrestling, this being AEW, this being uh, you know the audience, the crowd, this is finally his again, doesn't plan on letting anyone take it away when he's talking about their Team Taz and the match that he has against Powerhouse Hobbs tonight on AEW Rampage. Amazing promo. Honestly, Punk could have stood there for like 10 minutes and gotten the pop of the night, just given the fact that it's CM Punk and everyone loves singing his song. And he could have talked about anything for those 10 minutes and people would have been stuck there listening just because he's people have been dying to hear him speak for so, so long. And now the fact you get, you get to hear him in person speak, uh, it really made it feel so, so special. Uh, I, was, I went to go watch with my little brother. Uh, he's uh, 14 years old just starting high school, and uh, he just got into pro wrestling a few years back, and I believe it was at the start of the pandemic, so it was about a year back, and never in a million years would he think that he was going to see CM Punk in person, but he was able to there. All right, moving on to our next match, MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr. MJF tries to shake Pillman's hand, but Pillman takes him down as the bell rings. Pillman tries to dive to the outside, but MJF grabs Julia Hart to stop that. MJF grabs the wrist of Hart in a moment of anger, and Pillman drop kicks MJF on the outside. But the salt of the earth is locked in in the middle of the ring by MJF to win the match. And uh, no MJF promo, sadly, in New York. I felt like you know, that's something that you got to give the crowd there, an MJF promo. Uh, but I guess, uh, you know, the biggest show of uh, Dynamite's history does, is, you know, wasn't worthy for that. <laughs> I guess not. But uh, that's the one knock I have against the show. But either way, 
Fun match. I don't really do this match justice by giving it those four points, but once again, it's tough for, for me to even describe any other match on this card uh, after following Danielson and Omega because I had a, a full page worth of notes on Danielson and Omega, and I had a quarter of a page for MJF and Brian Pillman. So it's a, it's a completely different story there between these types of matches. Next match, Malachi Black versus Cody Rhodes with Arn Anderson and Brandy Rhodes making her uh, return. Uh, big booze for Cody, and I wrote LOL in my notes here. Uh, Captain America type gear for Rhodes, which was, uh, th- from an aesthetic standpoint, beautiful, absolutely amazing from Cody Rhodes. Uh, but big booze from the crowd, big, big booze. Everyone was behind Malachi Black. Not one person there was behind Cody Rhodes. Black avoids uh, diving to the outside by moonsaulting off the middle rope and then sits cross-legged in the middle of the ring, as we're used to him seeing. But then Brandy enters the ring and sits cross-legged herself and flips off Malachi Black. A really, really fun spot, and that was nice to see. A very unexpected spot. just to see her just walk into the ring, sit cross-legged, and then just flip him off. And I just thought that was great. I, I Good visuals. You know, I'm a big guy. I'm a big visuals guy. And that was a fantastic visual there from uh, Brandy. Black mask, but Rhodes rolls out of the ring. And now the botch of the night, uh, Arn Anderson, he goes and climbs up to the ring apron. And then he has to make his way over to the right side of the hard cam for the spot to happen where he's supposed to get knocked off the ring apron. But on his way, making his way around the ring post, he falls off of the apron and hits the ground, has to climb all the way back up onto the ring apron and then gets knocked off again. So he fell twice, one on accident, one on purpose. And, uh, Batch of the night, it's a shame to see it, especially coming, you know, coming from the legend, Arne Anderson, trying just in a simple move. He was just trying to make his way around the uh, ring post, lost his footing, and he fell, but in front of the largest crowd in AEW history, not really a good look. Sorry, Arne, but just not really a good look. Rhodes uh, pushes the ref away in anger as he's trying to attack Malachi Black in the corner. As the ref is pushed away and now looking away, uh, Malachi Black missed Rhodes to win. A huge crowd pop for the mist. Uh, Black looked absolutely fantastic in this match. Uh, Cody looked fine. Poor Arn Anderson. And good move there by Brandy uh, for in the beginning of the match. She sort of gave herself a moment there, and that was really, really nice. But uh, no, no doubt, both in the result of the match and just the, the aftermath of the match and just how it was perceived. Black just looks like an absolute superstar. Absolute superstar. And do I want to give Cody credit? Yeah, in a way, I kind of do, given the fact that, you know, Cody puts himself, books himself in these situations where he, if he wants done, something done right, he's going to do it himself and he doesn't really care what the crowd thinks. He doesn't really care what the crowd thinks about him, I should say. He obviously cares what the crowd thinks about his competitor and wants to make sure that Malachi Black looks as best as possible. But he, he doesn't really care what the crowd thinks about him. At least that's what I'm perceiving. Because he's not making these stories about him. He's always trying to make the story about someone else. So you look at what stuff with Brody Lee and then with Rusev, all the people that came in to uh, AEW... Usually they go through Cody Rhodes first because, you know, the first impression is usually the most important impression. And if you want something done right, you do it yourself. And Cody Rhodes has lived by that since the beginning. As long as he can wrestle in the ring, he wants to make sure that everyone knew that he's signing into this company and Tony Khan is signing into this company. He wants to make sure that they're being put over the right way with the right message. And uh, I think that 
for him to be the one to do that is is the perfect guy because he's almost a scapegoat in the way where he's willing to take the booze from the crowd even though he's not a heel he's willing to take the booze from the crowd in order to get whoever is coming into the company over and he wants to tell the story the right way as well he knows that he can do that to the best of his ability so i give cody Rhodes a lot of credit there um in that regard in that regard i will say that all right moving on to our next match uh and the fantastic match at that ftr versus sting and darby allen Wow, FTR in NWO type ring gear. Uh, commentary did a good note on this. It's trying to say, oh, they're trying to get into the mind of Sting by uh, wearing this NWO type logo with the letters FTR, but reminiscent, obviously, of NWO. I was a little uh, scratching my head about this because NWO, that logo design, uh, or at least the letters NWO, it, that's owned by WWE, I can assume. Uh, given the fact that it was that was under WCW's umbrella and everything WCW is now owned by WWE, so you have that type of logo. Is that is that a issue there for copyright? I don't know. That that's a good question to ask. All right, getting into the match, Sting misses the Stinger splash in the corner as the match gets underway, giving FTR control. Sting's falls and crotches hardwood in a fun spot there where Sting uh, gained some momentum and then just ended up falling forward and crotches hardwood on purpose, but it was a really, really fun spot. Allen, in on a hot tag, tries to cough and drop onto both members of FTR on the outside, but is caught and driven into the ring apron. Sting in on a hot tag. Sting with a huge top rope cross body. Sting drives hardwood through the uh, a chair that was propped up in the corner. Uh, so a fun spot there by Sting to gain the advantage once again. Scorpion Deathlock gets Sting and Allen the win after Allen cough and drops to save the breakup because uh, there was almost a breakup at the end of the match. Allen coffin dropping himself, taking an insane bump onto the apron. Awesome to see all four of these guys live, especially Sting. It's almost like seeing Tyson live or something along those lines where you know you see a guy that probably shouldn't be in the ring anymore. He had 62 years old. And I think this was the match uh, that everyone realized that Sting was 62 years old, but in a very, very good way. It's not because he's falling over himself or putting on a bad match or anything like that. It's because the match was so good. People Googled, this guy's having a fantastic match. And I I remember seeing him from when I was a kid, you know, like talking to my dad or something like that. He's like, wow, like how old is he now? You didn't Google. He's like, he's 62 when he's still doing all that. Like it's, it's an impressive 62. It's not like, oh, he's clunking around. And you know, why is he still in the ring? How old is he? 62? No, it's, it's, it's an impressive 62. So he's getting the right impression. So uh, a little bit later on, I'll go into more of the cheers that we heard from the crowd. But um, other than that, fantastic job there by Sting and Darby Allen, and especially FTR as well, because they put on a fantastic match as well. All right, moving on to our main event, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, the champion taking on Ruby Soho. This match is for the AEW Women's Championship. Soho dives to the outside onto Rebel and Hater. Uh, Baker takes advantage of this with a swinging break, neckbreaker onto the outside. A strong sling blade from Baker gloves up for the lockjaw. Uh, a senton from Soho and a kick out at two by Baker. A huge drop from Baker from the second rope slamming Soho on her neck. Uh, Soho kicks out of the curb stomp. Uh, Hater in a moment of interference stuns Soho on the top rope. Baker locks in the lockjaw to retain the AEW Women's Championship. Solid match and a solid main event. Um, one thing that was a little odd 
about this is just that this was directly pretty much in the, it, even though this was the main event of Dynamite, this was directly in the middle of the show for both Dynamite and Rampage combined. So technically this was like the middle match of everything. So it made this, I wouldn't say it made this less special because it's definitely, it was the main event of the largest Dynamite in Dynamite history. So it, I'm not saying that this didn't make it special, but this was a moment where a lot of people did go use the bathroom. They would, you know, I've stayed there in my seat for the whole show. I did not move from my seat, but this was a moment where a lot of people went to go use the bathroom. So I will say that, but other than that, solid match, solid match. Uh, Ruby Soho looks great. I'm glad she made her way from WWE to AEW, even though obviously, in, even in the in the episode of Rampage that prior'd this uh, Dynamite, it was obvious and and it was good to be remembered that she was fired from WWE, maybe for different reasons, like budget cuts or something like that. But there's a reason why she's no longer there in WWE. But now finding her way over to AEW, making the most out of the situation, and look where she is. She was put in the main event of the largest Dynamite in AEW history for the AEW Women's Championship. And even though she didn't win, she just got put on a level that is a lot higher than any other level of any of the WWE Women's Superstars right now, you know, comparatively so. Maybe the you know, Flair still ranks above and Banks and Becky and a couple of, uh, you know, these other stars. But right now, she's on that same level. She's on that same level. And previously, when WWE, she couldn't get the time of day. So she just boosted her stock uh, tenfold so really good on ruby soho and uh continue to wish her the best in aew obviously off to a fantastic start getting the, the main event of dynamite if i had to rate this show if i had to put it on a scale of of you know a plus to, to f you know on my, my typical grading scale geez this is a tough one i'm probably gonna have to go a minus and it's trending up towards an a a a minus uh the, I'm not gonna knock the draw because I know that was for a reason. It was absolutely perfect between Omega and Danielson. That was a five star match. You go through the rest of the matches on this card, and you really don't see anything that really suffers. That I wish they we got a debut. That's the only thing I wish for from uh, that episode of Dynamite. But other than that, there's really no reason really to grade. Maybe I, I'll give it an A. You know, and a debut would have given me an A plus. But other than that. Uh, I really can't tell you. I I really can't give you a, a higher grade from from this point because this was so good. This was so so good. This was so so special. The AEW did it the right way. They absolutely did it the right way. So we're gonna take a quick break. But when we come back, I'm gonna tell you my full story of my day, uh, getting back to Queens, getting into Arthur Ashe Stadium, how it all went down, some of the troubles in Arthur Ashe Stadium that stood outside of of anything in, inside of the, the wrestling ring or, or the show itself, just Author Ash Stadium problems in general. So I'll give you the full story. It's all right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. Don't miss out. On this day in pro wrestling history, on September 24, 2000, WWF presented Unforgiven from the First Union Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 18,000 were in attendance with a staggering 605,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. Why so many? It was Stone Cold Steve Austin's return to the full-time roster for the first time since the previous November's Survivor Series where he was sidelined with a neck injury and I believe in, in, in kayfabe he was run over by a car. So that, that, that was the reason why, but hey, huge moments for uh, WWE back in uh, the early 2000s and this was the return of Stone Cold in his final run with the uh, WWE in his... Um, main roster with the main roster full-time run i should say you know then before he uh hung it up after wrestlemania x7 so 
Last full run for, for Austin back in the day. Also, happy birthday to Stephanie McMahon. It's her birthday today. And Matt Hardy, who was also in appearance at AEW Dynamite. Well, I guess that was the Rampage portion of it. Uh, AEW Rampage uh, Grand Slam. All right, let's go through the full story of Arthur Ashe. Let's go through the full thing. It, let me preface by saying this. This was an absolute blast. It was worth every penny. Uh, I enjoyed my whole time there. Uh, I did not get up and uh, go for food at all because I'll get into a little bit, but let's just say the lines are very long, and I'll get into that in a second. But I, I sat down and watched the whole entire show from start to start to end, from go starting from the beginning with uh, AEW Dark Elevation all the way to the end to Rampage, all the way until it was absolutely over. So let's start off about how <laughs> getting there. Uh, we left Ithaca, me, my friend John Bakari, and my friend Killian. Uh, we all took the, a trip down from Ithaca, New York, going all the way down to uh, Queens, New York, my hometown, uh, where I was born and raised, and you know, I still live there. It's my, my home is there, but right now I'm in Ithaca. And uh, same thing with John. John, he's also from Queens. Uh, we went to high school together, and he's the reason why I got into broadcasting. And to this day, you know, him and me, we went to St. Francis Prep High School, and we uh, called basketball games together. Tons of videos out there. If you have a chance to check it out, check it out because those are some classics called games with Cole Anthony uh, playing for Malloy and uh, Kofi Coburn playing for Christ the King, and uh, in the city. So great stuff. But less about that. Uh, we took the trip down, four and a half hours down. We ended up getting back to Queens around uh, 5.45, 6, more 5.45, 6. Uh, Killian, this was his first time. He's from Connecticut, and that was his first time driving through uh, the Bronx and uh, getting through the GW, so bless his heart, because uh, <laughs> as I said, if you could drive there, you could drive through that, you could drive through anywhere in the world. So uh, he did it. He did it. And, uh, he, you know, might not have been pretty, but he definitely did it. Um, we get to my house. Right away, uh, it's it's us three going. I had my little brother going. I also wanted my dad to go because I wanted him to experience an AEW show for the first time. He, my dad, was the one that got me into pro wrestling when I was younger, uh, back back you know in WWE around uh, WrestleMania 23, 24, 25 around that era. And uh, yeah, I remember him. We we had a wrestling wrestling birthday parties when I was turning like nine years old, and uh, I wrestled him in a match, and uh, I'll never forget it to this day. <laughs> It was uh, like an inflatable castle ring or whatever, and you know, I, obviously I went over because I was the birthday boy. I open up the, the 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 door for people to come in. I have a bunch of nine year olds run into the ring and beating the crap out of my dad. I felt so so bad. So this is this I guess is making up for it. Me taking him over to uh <laughs> to AW Dynamite Grand Slam. So we get there, but we start driving, and we're taking the Grand Central. And the big problem is, is that we see these massive, massive, massive lines of cars because we realize, damn, there's really nowhere to park. And I live so close to uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, I'm a big Mets fan, uh, which is right next to, uh, City Field's right next to Arthur Ashe. And I always say, when people ask where I live, I say, I live a 15-minute bike ride from City Field because I used to ride my bike all the time to City Field during day games. I lock it up right in, uh, in left field and go watch a Mets game because there was no skin off my back. I used to just ride my bike nice and easy, lock my bike up, go watch a Mets game. So I, we pretty much could have done the same thing for Arthur Ashe, but I had people coming from out of town, so I obviously couldn't bike over. We, we had to take a car over. So 
we're so familiar with the area because I literally live there, you know, it, it we didn't end up parking in um, the, the regular parking spots that they had for us. We ended up parking by on the outskirts of um, Flush and Meadow Park down by Booth Memorial. And uh, over there, we just walked, literally took a walk through the park, able to show Killian, who was his first time ever in Queens, the little sights and sounds of, of Queens, New York, the Unisphere and, you know, the, the um, I don't even know what they call it. They, I always called the men in black things from <laughs> in uh, Flesh and Metal Park. But, you know, he got a very good tour. So he could thank me for that. And uh, then going in, had to show the, the COVID test, no, not, not the, COVID, the COVID vaccine, because I'm, I'm vaccinated and my, my, everyone there was vaccinated, so I showed the vaccine card. Uh, and then from there, we walked through a little bit, and then we showed our ticket, boop, one, two, three. And then walking into Arthur Ashe Stadium, there's a little village around the stadium that I could only best equivocate to NBA 2K's, like, the park from, like, 2K21, 2K20, where there's different stores. There's, like, a Polo store, an Adidas store, a Mercedes-Benz store, and it's all uniquely shaped, and it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And uh, I've never, ever, ever, even though I've lived next to Arthur Ashe Stadium literally all 21, 20 years of my life, I've never, ever been to Arthur Ashe because I'm not a big tennis guy. I'm a big baseball guy. I've been to City Field a thousand times, but I've never been to Arthur Ashe. So going in there was a... a absolute experience. It was beautiful, 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 beautiful. Uh, we go, we go through security. That was fine. And then we start walking up the stairs and we see these long, long lines again. 20,000 people there, Arthur Ashe, and they understaffed Arthur Ashe terribly, terribly. They understaffed it. There were lines. Let me tell you, there were lines for merch and for just beer and you know, concessions for merch, for, for all you know, the normal stuff. Just, I feel like there was maybe two people working each little thing. Uh, meanwhile, there's 20,000 people here all trying to get food at the start of the show, all trying to get their merch. Uh, all the CM Punk stuff sold out right away from what I heard. I did not wait in any of these lines. I was, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. There's no reason to wait in these lines for merch because it, it's not going to move. It's not going to move. I'm going to be waiting here online listening all the crowd pops as, as, we, as dynamite happens. That's how long the lines were. People reported waiting in line for two hours. Why'd you buy your tickets for the show if you're just going to wait in line for two hours? So... um. I, I don't wait. I just go straight up to the seats. And let me tell you this. You look at these seats and you look at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Arthur Ashe Stadium, in my opinion, not a ballroom, not ballroom-wise, not hall-wise, because there's different ballrooms and halls that are perfect for pro wrestling. But stadium-wise, Arthur Ashe Stadium, I think, in my opinion, is the closest thing to a professional wrestling-specific stadium. That's how amazing the, everyone's seats were. Everyone's, not just my seats, everyone's seats. We were up in the 300s, so the third level, technically. It felt ringside. That's how, it felt really, really like we are on top of the action from, from the 300 level. Because, it, because it's a tennis stadium, every seat is a good seat. Every single seat was a good seat. We sat in, in a way so we, we saw the full entrance ramp. We didn't sit, sit, sit behind the entrance ramp, so we sat the we saw the full rampway. We saw the full ring, and it was absolutely perfect. It was absolutely perfect. They did a great job. They closed the roof, and then they put down the four giant LED screens. So if the action was on the other side of the ring, you could still see perfectly on the LED screen. I had to try my best to not watch the LED screen and watch the actual ring itself because, I, you know, I could watch the, the LED screens at home. You know, that's that's exactly what it was. It was, tele, it was the program. So I, I tried my best to watch the actual action itself, and uh, we had an absolute blast. I was cheering my head off. I'm surprised I still have a voice right now. And 
as a pro wrestling fan, this is my first ever AEW event that I've ever been to. And I, I'm glad I saved it for New York City. I'm glad I not only saved it for New York City, but I saved it for Queens, New York, for crying out loud, my hometown. I'm glad I saved it for that because you watch everything from what they did at Daly's Place from the beginning throughout all of COVID. And you watch all that and they're singing along to everybody's songs and there's all these little things. And, you know, you, you, you sing along and you, in your head here at, at, on your couch or on your bed when you're watching wrestling. But to actually do it with 20,000 other people there in attendance, to actually do it, to sing along to Judas, to, to sing along to Jungle Boy's theme, you know, to, to do the uh, Pento de Sierra Mero, do, to do all that stuff, the DMD, everything. I can go through every single list uh, of ways to sing along to Cult of Personality, all of that. All of that, it made it so, so, so much more special for me. And uh, I would do it again a thousand times over. I'm sure the next Dynamite I go to, because right now there's one in Rochester, so that's about two and a half hours away from me right now. I could go to that, but will I? Probably not, given the fact that it's not going to be the same experience as going back to my hometown, going back to a show that they're booking like a super card, booking arguably better than any pay-per-view that they booked so far. You know, putting a card together like that, doing it in front of 20,000 people. It's going to be really tough for me to top that. Really, really tough for me to top that. But what I will say is this. Uh, recently, this morning, because the tickets came out at 10 o'clock on uh, Ticketmaster for the general public, uh, I bought my tickets for Survivor Series. So I will be there in the Barclays. I'm not sure if I'm going to be there for the Raw after uh, Survivor Series at the Barclays because uh, I produce a show that airs on um, that time. But... Uh, other than that, wow, what a ride. What a ride. I had an absolute blast, and I couldn't be more happy. I couldn't be more happy about how that show went for AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. Uh, other than the fact that it was really, really tough for everybody that wanted to get food, everybody that wanted to get a merch because they were so, so understaffed, uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium. But other than that, from a straight AEW, from what AEW can control, from their perspective, they did a perfect show. They did a perfect, perfect show. Did it run long? Yeah, a little bit. I guess I was very tired by the end of it all because it was five hours of me giving my whole heart to the event, just screaming at the top of my lungs, like, yeah, you know, giving every single part of it. And so I felt like, yeah, people were a little tired out and might be able to hear it tonight on Rampage. Uh, People were pretty tired by the final match. But other than that, I really think they put on a fantastic show. A fantastic, fantastic show. All right, we're going to take a look at tonight's uh, WWE SmackDown preview and also take a preview at AEW Rampage Grand Slam. Looking at SmackDown's Lena Vega versus Liv Morgan, a WWE Intercontinental Championship match between uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, King Shinsuke Nakamura, I should say. He's defending his title against Apollo Crews. And Happy Baron Corbin premieres his new talk segment, uh, Happy Talk. So, And it's also the final go-home show for Extreme Rules, which is Sunday. I'll give my predictions for that uh, coming up. Uh, You'll probably hear that on Sunday. Also, uh, AEW Rampage Grand Slam. Uh, I've seen this show already (laughs) because I was there for both tapings, and what I will say is that it delivered. Every match on on this card uh, delivered. Uh, Anna Jay versus Penelope Ford. Uh, Lucha Bros and Centeno and Ortiz take on Private Party and The Butcher and the Blade. Uh, Men of the Year versus Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. 
Uh, Adam Cole and the Young Bucks take on Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. Powerhouse Hobbs with Hook versus CM Punk. And a lights out match between Eddie Kingston and John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer. I'm not going to give any spoilers because that's not the right thing to do. But well, what I will say is that every match for AEW Rampage Grand, Grand Slam delivered. So it's not you're not wasting your time tonight uh, staying up until midnight to watch the two-hour special uh, after uh, SmackDown. It's well worth it. Every match on this card delivered. So I, I highly recommend you stay up and watch it. All right, you can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.